Good day, everybody. This is Marla Spindell with DC Ken Care Alliance, and I'm here with my colleague, Stephanie McClellan. And this is our first podcast, so bear with us. We may be working things out as we go, but hopefully you'll enjoy it. We're trying to give everybody sort of up-to-date information on what we're doing, what the D.C. government is doing during this public health crisis, and just trying to be available for people if you need us. We have a new website, a new and improved website at www.dckincare.org. Please go there for resources, a copy of our resource guide, lots of other helpful information. We'll also be updating it very regularly on the blog page. And so if you want up-to-date information daily, check out the blog page. I think we should start with some good news. Okay. Sounds good, Stephanie. What's the good news? The good news, which you wouldn't share, but I will, is that Marla has been nominated and received the CWLA, which is the Child Welfare League of America Champion of Children Award, which she richly deserves. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. We are supposed to have a conference the end of this month where we were going to be presenting on the new standby guardianship law in D.C. that we recommended to the council. And unfortunately, the conference had to be, I don't know what, right now it's postponed. Hopefully it will get rescheduled at some point. And I guess they were going to hand out the awards then. So we'll see what happens with that. So what else is going on in the world? Well, aside from us working home alone together, we recently had a community board meeting also by Colin from for the first time. And of course, it wasn't as great as being able to see everybody face to face, but we did have some folks call in and we were able to talk to relative caregivers about what they care about and also what's going on in their world, especially with COVID-19 and the problems that they're facing related to that. Yeah, it was really nice to be able to talk to people. It was about a week ago. So our community board is made up of relative and other caregivers of children in D.C., might be godparents, aunts, uncles, grandparents. So we have a nice core group. And we look to them to try to identify issues that they're seeing in their communities and trying to come up with ways to address them. So maybe we can talk a little bit about the issues they raised. It was just at the very beginning of the, of the COVID virus issues. So, but I think there were still some concerns even at that point about access to food and people hoarding and not supplies available in the grocery stores. That's right. I mean, food and toiletries, especially specific items, are really low at grocery stores everywhere. I'm sure our listeners have experienced the same thing, things that are basic that we need, like cleaner and wipes to engage in good hygiene and protect ourselves from COVID-19, just toiletries like toilet paper and paper towels foods and basics like milk and bread and eggs. Some places are limiting them to one item per person. And that is a real problem in places where it's a food desert anyway, and people may have access to maybe only one grocery store if they're lucky or 
pharmacy that's close by and people who really struggle with transportation issues and might not have access to a car to be able to check other locations or even get to one location. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think they also may were concerned about the children who would be out of school and how they might be able to access technology to do online school. That's right. With the libraries being closed and kids not necessarily having laptops at home to be able to do the work that's assigned through remote learning, this is a situation that really lays bare the technological divide that we have. Yeah, and it was recommended that the government provide technology and laptops to students, especially high school students, where it really matters for college and Obviously, it matters for all children, but to try to get some access to the children that, so they can continue to learn. And then we also talked about access to benefits and you know, concerns about having to go to different locations to, if you needed to recertify, let's say, for your TANF or food stamps. There were some concerns about that. That was before the D.C. Council passed legislation addressing some of those things. So did you want to talk about that a little bit, Stephanie? Sure. So the D.C. Council recently, on March 16th, passed the COVID-19 Response Emergency Amendment Act of 2020. And it does a lot of things to help D.C. residents and businesses address the impact especially the economic impact of COVID-19 and the social distancing that we are supposed to be doing and everything being closed. And there are a couple of things in particular that I think are important for our listeners and relative caregivers to know about it. There are labor and workforce protections. Unemployment compensation is extended to those who are unemployed or partially unemployed due to the coronavirus. So if you self-quarantine or lose shifts, this will apply to you. If you test positive for the virus, assuming you can get a test and can't work, you'll be eligible for medical leave. There's business relief, which you wouldn't think necessarily would apply to our clients at first glance, but actually does. There's a small business grant program to help businesses and nonprofits recover from reductions in revenue. But the way that this would most likely apply to relative caregivers is that this also applies to independent contractors who don't qualify for unemployment insurance. And that's a problem that really a lot of people who are hourly wage workers have faced in other contexts and long before COVID-19 was an issue is employers are treating people as independent contractors who really should be classified as employees. And one of the downsides of that is that you can't get unemployment compensation as an independent contractor. But this grant program specifically allows independent contractors who don't qualify for unemployment insurance to apply for grants. Now, unfortunately, the mayor has not set this grant program up yet. In fact, it's not even mentioned on 
launched her COVID-19 website, which is coronavirus.dc.gov, but we are going to stay on top of it, and as there are updates to this, we will certainly let everyone know. We emailed the mayor's office to let her know that we wanted to get some information on that, but haven't heard back yet. Yep, we're waiting. So under the context of public health, safety, and consumer protection, the council authorized the mayor to take actions that she determines are appropriate to support the continuation of and access to any public benefit program. And that's the language that's used, any public benefit program. The mayor has automatically extended TANA, SNAP, which is food stamps, and healthcare alliance benefits. So those are automatically extended. You don't have to recertify. No action is needed to remain eligible for right now. However, the mayor hasn't yet addressed other public benefits plans, such as housing vouchers, the grandparent and close relative caregiver subsidies, and we will come back to that issue, and adoption, guardianship, and foster care subsidies. The legislation also addresses the fact that electric, gas, and water cannot be disconnected during this public health crisis or for 15 calendar days after that. So if you get behind on your gas and water and electric bills because of this, don't worry. Evictions, tenants can't be evicted during this public health emergency. Pharmacists can refill prescriptions early during this public health emergency. So even if it's not time yet, the pharmacist can go ahead and fill your prescription. Now, one thing you should be aware of is they can't go ahead and give you a refill on something that you don't have any refills left for or is the type of prescription that doesn't permit refills. It's only if you already have a refill. The mayor has the authority to extend the validity of certain licenses and waive deadlines for certain licenses, for example, like driver's licenses. To my knowledge, the mayor has not done that yet. There's nothing on her coronavirus website about that. With regard to homeless services, people can go into an interim eligibility placement, which is a short-term shelter placement for 60 days instead of three days. And there are some other tenants' rights that people have during this public health emergency, the most important of which is that landlords can't charge rent late fees during this public health emergency. The Department of Corrections can give additional good time credits to persons who are serving times for misdemeanors so that they can be immediately released. They don't have to, but they can to reduce their populations if they want to. And whether or not the DOC has done that for anyone yet, we don't know. That would be individual cases, but they do have the authority to do that. And then with regard to education, DCPS can waive certain promotion requirements for students who fail to meet them during the school year when there has been a public health emergency declared, so this year. So that's a really important piece. I know a lot of parents are worried about their kids can't, you know, meet all the requirements, what's going to happen as far as... Absolutely. We definitely anticipate this will affect summer school and what is required. So we'll see what requirements are and and are not waived for folks as a result of this. I'm just on the DMV website, and they actually do say that they've extended the expiration dates for driver's license, identification cards, vehicle registrations, 
inspections, ticket payments, and ticket adjudication responses until April 17th. That is so good to know. Thanks so much, Marla. And then the last sort of thing that our listeners should be aware of is that public body meetings have been suspended. And what that means is things like the DC Council and other boards and commissions don't have to meet in person. They can do it remotely and they can then post video of that online and it will meet the requirements for open meetings during this public health emergency. What I don't want to do is forget to go back to the grandparent and close relative caregiver subsidies. And Marla, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the advocacy that you have engaged in with regard to both the council and the mayor to make sure that grandparents and close relatives can get subsidies to care for the children that they are raising during this really difficult time. Yeah, sure. I'm glad you brought that up, Deputy. For a while now, we've actually been advocating for two things that would help grandparents and other relatives access what's called the grandparent subsidy and the close relative caregiver subsidy in D.C. The grandparent subsidy is for exactly that, grandparents or other grand-level relatives taking care of their children. In D.C., there's been a program that allows for them to get a certain amount per month to help them to do that in recognition of the fact that they're basically keeping these children safe and secure when otherwise they might have had to go into the foster care system. And there's also an acknowledgement that it saves the government millions and millions of dollars that they would have had to pay in foster care payments. So they're paying about half the foster care rate to these grandparents to care for these children that step up to care for the children in times of crisis. That's been around for 10 or 15 years. Recently, we were we advocated and were able to get past an extension of that program to include not only the ground-level relatives, but also other close relatives, such as aunts, uncles, sisters, adult sisters and brothers, and cousins who are taking care of their young relatives. So we we're really happy about that, but we also want to go further because there are some other things that are limiting access to relatives receiving the benefits. And the most important one is that there's been, there's always been from the beginning of the grandparent program, and it now applies to the relative, the close relative caregiver program, a six-month eligibility period. So a relative needs to be caring for the child in their home for six consecutive months without a parent present before they're eligible to apply for the benefit. And then it takes another couple months before your application is approved. And then it's another month usually before you actually get your card. Uh, And it's paid in arrears. So if you get the benefit approved on November 15th, on December 1st, you're going to get from November 15th to December 1st, you're not going to get the full month for December going forward. So we're talking at least six to 10 months, more like eight to 10 months before anyone's going to get any money. And the problem is when these children come into the grandparent or other relatives' homes, they just usually come with the clothes on their backs. And when they first come in, they're to the homes, the relatives don't have any savings. They scramble to put food on the table, clothe these children, get them all the things that they need. And it's already a very difficult process that really puts these families behind. 
and potentially further into poverty or into poverty if they aren't already in poverty. And so we really think that the money should be provided right away when these relatives first step up to do this amazing thing that they're doing, that they shouldn't have to wait, in some cases, almost a year to get this benefit. And there's research that shows that just a little bit of extra money for low-income families can really help those families and really help for children to be able to thrive and succeed. And then you add on to that the current public health crisis, and people are even in more of a dire situation when the children come into their homes. So we think right now there really needs to be a waiver of that eligibility period. In addition, there's been a waiting list since August for the grandparent subsidy. It's funded every year, just a certain amount, and they ran out of money and it hasn't been replenished. So people have been waiting since August to even after the six-month eligibility period, then they're put on a waiting list. And unless a family drops off of the program, no new people can come on. So we think there should be emergency funding to make sure that people that have been approved and are eligible can get that money right now. And again, especially important at this time. The mayor right now, she could take the action of moving funds so that the grandparent subsidy and the close relative caregiver subsidy could be fully funded, right? Right. So we're hoping that they will do that. There was a call with the mayor's staff last Monday, and we tried to ask that question. But unfortunately, it was only a 25-minute call, and they only took five questions. And I was in the hopper for my question, but it wasn't chosen, so I wasn't allowed to ask my question. And the law could be changed so that there isn't a six-month waiting period at all, but that hasn't happened yet. And the law could have been changed as part of this emergency legislation to at least waive the six-month waiting period during a public emergency, and that hasn't happened either. Right. So we're hoping that the mayor and or the council will work to make sure that this happens as soon as possible to help these families to survive, especially during this crisis. We have definitely been advocating for this even prior to COVID-19 becoming an issue, and especially since we are in touch with council members, we have been in touch with the mayor's office, and we are advocating for this to happen. Absolutely. Else to report, Stephanie? Absolutely. Recently, Marla was called by the Washington Post by a reporter as part of her article about COVID-19 and how this is really affecting relative caregivers, especially grandparents, because they are really at risk. They're often in that older citizen category that's at greater risk of having serious complications, and they don't have the option of isolating from their grandchildren or from young people to protect themselves because that's who they're taking care of. They face all the issues that we are facing with COVID-19 and with raising children only with all the extra issues that come along with being a relative caregiver and an older American. And if you want to talk a little bit about both the article, Marla, and sort of those special issues that you talked about. Yeah, so the article is in the post from March 18th, 18th. I believe. 
18th, yeah. It's called Millions of U.S. Grandparents Care for Young Kids and Are High Risk for COVID-19. And the reporter did quote me about the particular issues faced by grandparents, and we do have a copy of that article on our blog page. I did also just want to mention before we move on to anything else regarding the mayor's office also her website, the COVID-19 website that Stephanie mentioned before, really doesn't have all of the information that we would hope would be on there. And indeed, all of the things that Stephanie laid out to you as far as certain legislative and administrative or executive fixes aren't all relayed on that website. In fact, most of the things that Stephanie discussed, such as the landlords not being able to evict you, the the extensions for TANF and SNAP and not having to recertify are all on the Department of Human Services website. And they reference back to the COVID website, but the COVID website doesn't reference the page, a really helpful page on the Department of Human Services website. So I'm hoping that they'll get all that worked out so that the COVID website will be more user-friendly and have all the information in one place, sort of uh, spokes on the wheel, that that could be the centralized place and then go out from there to other things rather than the other way around. Just um, to give everyone the information, the mayor's coronavirus website is coronavirus.dc.gov. The DHS website we're talking about is dhs.dc.gov. And so we'll make sure to put links to those things, any kind of relevant information and info sheets on the blog page of our website, dccancare.org, as well as a summary that we put together of the legislation that was passed. I also want to mention that if any caregivers are listening to this or you know any caregivers that need help, we have our hotline up and running and they can call anytime at 202-505-5803. And we look forward to speaking with anybody that wants to talk about raising children in D.C. Is there anything else we had on tap for today, Stephanie? Not for today, but we'll be back. Okay, well, I just want to close it out with the music that you listened to in the beginning. And I failed to mention that this was from the Rotterdam Philharmonic Orchestra. They did a special COVID-19 Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, all from their homes, and they put it together, and I think it sounds really good, so I will. And I want to thank my mother also for sending me the link to that, so thank you, Mom. And I will close it out with some more Beethoven's Ninth.